Well, I want you to find your place with me in 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10 and Philippians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians 10 and Philippians 4. You're with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You can start us on Facebook, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Philippians chapter number 4. I'm going to skip humor this morning for the sake of time. I have a boatload of things to give you. I am going to remain in a teaching mode this morning, if the Lord will allow me to just remain in a softer, more teaching mode. And so we, this is our third sermon on balance, and we're going to continue that this week and probably next week. We're going to exhaust this subject because it is so needed today. This is one of the most needed lessons. I won't say sermons. I will say lessons. One of the most needed lessons in our lives today. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the day. We thank you for your word now. Open your word to us and open our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to give you this morning is some practical things for your mind. Last week we gave you the balance of the home and the practical things for the home. But yet, I want you to notice with me as we look at our society, we are seeing more and more people with warped minds. Somebody say amen. I've never seen so many people that have a warped sense of morality, a warped sense of character, an imbalance in their mind, no moderation, no ability to bring equilibrium to their life. Our society is being wrecked because of imbalance. And so we have to watch ourselves in the things that we as Christians get focused on. Sometimes you and I are going to get so focused on one thing that it's going to consume our thoughts. And that's so easy to do. The mind can completely get saturated and captivated. And the devil, listen to me, the devil wants to capture and captivate your mind and get you so focused on one thing that it destroys your life. You become unbalanced. You actually become warped. It is, it is possible for a Christian to get a warped mind. Now we're saved. Our heart will always be saved. Our soul will be saved. Our spirit is secure. But our mind can get warped. And so we better be careful that our fault line is maintained because the devil loves to misconstrue and misconform and disinform our minds. The mind, listen, so our mind can get focused on one thing and become unbalanced. But then my mind oftentimes runs so many directions that I get imbalanced. <laughs> and I think that's part of our society. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, the mind, when the mind begins to run all of these different directions and run all these hypothetical cases and there doesn't seem to be an answer, I think it is a product of who we are as modern individuals. We're educated. Most everybody in here has a college education, some a, a, a deep college education. And that's wonderful. But what that does, let me make you aware of it, as we expand our minds, and, and it's wonderful to do that. We have a desire to do that, and it's a good thing. But as we do that, and as we make our minds more expanded and more intelligent, then, then our minds are going to tend to, to wander and run so many avenues that we get so many multi-thoughts that confusion comes in. And that's why it's easy to confuse a modern-day individual. 
They can't think simplistically anymore. Our forefathers didn't have that. They didn't have the, the, the education that we have. They didn't have the recreation that we have. They didn't have all the multi-things. I mean, you know, if you lived 50 years ago, you just had to know how to keep your horse maintained. <laughs> and today, you've got to maintain your car and your air conditioning unit and your home and your computer, and it gets very, very complicated, and the mind runs many, many avenues. It can be a source of imbalance. Paul said this, and I want you to look ahead. You turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read verse 5. There's some things that we're going to have to learn to do. Mind control. You say is mind control in the Bible? You better believe it is. You better believe it is. Here we go. First, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. The Bible says this. Paul, casting down imaginations. Underline that word. I'm going to give you the definition of that word, the Hebrew word for that in just a moment. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, notice that word, underline that word, every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means I have to capture some thoughts. Every thought, the Bible says, captivate, capture, pull down, grab hold of, every thought and bring it to Jesus Christ. If I don't, I'm going to get warped. I'm going to get focused on one thing and it's going to consume me. Or I'm going to get focused on many things and it's going to confuse me. I have to bring those thoughts, captivate those thoughts, and bring them to Jesus Christ. Let me just go ahead and just tell you. That kind of mind is a healthy mind. It's a healthy mind. A creative mind is a healthy mind. Amen. An intelligent mind is a healthy mind. But the healthy, intelligent, creative mind can run away with you. Yeah, <laughs> Our modern lifestyles cause it. The Bible calls these things imaginations. Imaginations. I'll give you the Greek word in just a minute. Imaginations. <laughs> Thoughts. Thought patterns. Logistics. Reasoning. Ration. The mind can run away with it. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes my mind can paint a horror story. The theater of my mind can turn so dark. I mean, you turn on the news and they tell us where Russia is and Putin is and the threat of nuclear war and my mind sees mushroom clouds in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, really? Don't yours? The mind has to be controlled. The theater of my mind can be entertaining, but it can beguile me as the serpent beguiled Eve. It can completely divert my attention. The Bible talking about this thing about imaginations. Paul mentions vain imaginations in Romans chapter 1. Solomon mentions wicked imaginations in Proverbs chapter 6, along with all the other things that God hates. God hates wicked imaginations. Let me tell you where we are in our modern society. There is so much pornography, there is so much sexual sin, there is so much other sin abounding that vain and wicked imaginations can get so far away from people that they destroy their lives. 
Listen to David's advice as he instructed Solomon, his son. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Number one, know the God of your father. Number two, serve him with a perfect heart. Number three, serve him with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. God will honor your choice. If you choose sin, he'll honor that choice. He'll let you have what sin brings. If you choose God, if you choose righteousness, if you choose Christ, he'll honor that choice too. Thank God. So David gives wonderful advice here. Paul says to bring all these imaginations to Christ. That word imaginations right above it is the word logismos. It's where we get our English word logistics. So when Paul says, bring all the imaginations to Jesus Christ, he's not just talking about wicked imaginations. He's not just talking about vain imaginations. He is talking about logical things. So when your mind runs through the logismos of life, when you consider the logistics of your own life, uh, the best thing for you to do is use the best of your mind and then take the best of your mind and bring it to Jesus Christ and make sure it's the will of God. I'd like to repeat that, but I don't have time. Imaginations, logismos, even when we've done the best at human reasoning, logismos means critical thinking. Even bring your critical thinking skills to God or you're subject to make a mistake. Captivate. He says captivate your thoughts and bring them to Christ. If your, your mind can be an escapee. Your mind can be an escapee, and your mind will create drama. The mind can get involved in other people's drama and begin to repeat that drama in gossip and busybody. That'll drive you crazy, friend. The word drama, the, the word logismos, the logistics of life. Now, what I'm going to do for the next 25 minutes is give you examples. I've never preached a message formatted like I'm about to preach. But the Bible says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. We're going to look at other people's lives, scripturally, biblical, biblical characters, see what they got focused on and see how it warped their mind or it healed their mind. And we're going to take five examples, to five bad examples from Scripture. We're going to take four good examples from Scripture. And we're going to understand and we're going to learn. You see, if I can learn from other people's mistakes, my life will be whole so much better. So let's, let's begin. Number one, Cain is the first example. Cain got so focused. We're talking about a focus that brings imbalance to your mind and to your life. Cain got so focused on his own accomplishments, his own gardening skills, his own creativity, his own work, his own labor. It was all about Cain, and he got so focused on himself, his own way. He got so infatuated in his own thing that he couldn't handle when God said, I don't want your garden, I want the blood. 
And he got so infatuated, his mind was so filled, his thought pattern was so toward trying to please God in his own way that he couldn't stand it when his own way didn't please God. And that's where we are in our country. People think they're living their lives pleasing to God by doing good works and benevolence and all this. And God says, I only approve of the blood of Jesus Christ. And people are warped in religion. Cain was so thoroughly infatuated, he couldn't receive the rejection of God. He refocused that hatred, that hatred, that rejection, instead of focusing it toward God, he focused it toward Abel, and he murdered his own brother. If that's not a warped mind, I don't know what is. That kind of thinking warped his mind. He imagined murder so much that he brought it to pass. Number two, second example, Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers got focused on their father's favor. Jacob loved Joseph, and Jacob gave Joseph, made Joseph to be his favorite son. And all of his 11 brothers got so jealous of that, they couldn't think of anything else. It was Joseph, Joseph, Joseph's got the father's favor, the father's favor. That's all they focused on. They couldn't look at the rest of the things in life and see how God had blessed them. They was just looking at how God had blessed Joseph. That'll warp your mind. Don't focus on someone else's blessings. Don't focus on someone else's relationship with Christ. Make your own right. And God will bless you. So they got focused on the admiration of Jacob. They, mis they mistreat mistreated Joseph because of it. They devised a plan to murder Joseph, send him into slavery, all because of their vain imaginations. It ran away with them. Dear friend, let me just remind you, if the mind is left without constraint, it will run away from you like a runaway horse. Your mind can become distorted and twisted until it becomes self-destructive to yourself and to others. Now let's read Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Very familiar passage of scripture, but one that we so need. Preacher, how do I balance my mind? My mind does run horror stories sometimes. My mind does get jealous. My mind does get focused on one thing. My mind does run many avenues. Well, let's just see. Let's captivate some thoughts and bring them to the subjection of Christ. Let's go back to Philippians 4, verse number 7. Here's what we're looking for, the peace of God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do I do that? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Amen. I'd like to just preach right there. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, justice is the equal treatment of other individuals, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely. Hey, I went in Food City yesterday, and I just stopped at the flower desk. I know not many men do that. I went in to buy a doctor enough, by the way. <laughs> and I got distracted. 
And if I'd have found one that I really, really liked, Lisa would have had that, th that thing, man. I got, whatsoever things are, what are you saying, preacher? Whatsoever things are lovely, stop and look at something lovely every once in a while. I mean, I visited a lady here a while back, and all she could do was growl about this and fuss about that and see this, and I'm like, holy cow, look at the sky, how pretty it is. Look at those clouds, aren't they beautiful? Made her mad. I don't care. You're not going to focus me on the bad. I'm going to focus on the good. That's too much good in life. Let's keep moving. So whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, bad news travels fast. Why doesn't good news? Good report. If there be any praise, think on these things. <laughs> Balance your mind before it gets warped. Amen. Let's, let's move on. I think of Moses. Moses was a great guy. I mean, he was a great leader. He had Moses. You talk about a man that had it all together. Moses had it all together. But he got under social pressure. I mean, the people had followed him out of Egypt. They'd seen the miracles of the Red Sea. They'd seen the miracles of Egypt. They'd seen the quail. They'd seen the manna. And all of a sudden, they were thirsty. And boy, they were putting the social pressure on Moses. And he got so focused on it. And God said, I got a cure for that, Moses. I want you to take your rod out there and just hit that rock. You mean, Lord, I just hit that rock? Well, I've performed how many miracles before? You think this is going to be any different? And he was so under such social pressure that he went out there and he smote the rock, which was a type of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament was a type of Christ. Let me just stop right there and say Jesus Christ will only be smitten once. They will never smite him again. He is now King of kings and Lord of lords. They smote him on the cross of Calvary. They beat him. They spit in his face. They treated him shamefully and spitefully, but it'll never happen again. <laughs> and that rock was a type of Christ, only to be smitten once. But Moses got overbalanced, overreacted because of social pressure, and he hit it twice. You say that was not a very, that was not a real bad infraction. Yes, it was, because it was a type of the perfection of Jesus Christ. And God punished Moses pretty severely for one mistake. Now, let me just stop right there. If you're not careful, you'll fall in with social pressure. Social pressure from friends, social pressure on the job, even social pressure from some circles in church. And you can make a mistake that would cost you for the rest of your life. Amen. There was a punishment here for Moses' overreaction. How many times have you overreacted in life? Think about that with me. It, I've often said this, and I'll say it again. My actions, if you leave me alone, my actions will be right. They will be. Well, if I get up in the morning, uh, my actions will be right. I'll feed the cows, enjoy the sun, talk to the chickens, I mean, pet the cat. Me and the dog will throw frisbee. I'll have a good day. You leave me alone, my actions will be right. But if you push me, my reactions are often wrong. 
social pressure pushes me into wrong reactions. And listen, that's just as wrong as any other sin. <laughs> It'll overbalance our critical thinking skills. Sometimes I, the social pressure, I, this is probably a bad example, but I often lose my, we're talking about balance and, and maintaining equilibrium and one of the ways I lose equilibrium is when Lisa comes home from the grocery store and she has all these Walmart or Food City bags. And, uh, you know, I just go, here's what I do. I hate to carry groceries in, but I have to help her. And I go down and I just hold both arms out like this. <laughs> and she begins to take those things and thread them. And she starts up here at my shoulders and she ends. And by the time I ball up my fists on the end, I've got two armloads of grocery bags. And I have even said, put the last one in my mouth, I'll make it. <laughs> and I start up the steps, load it down. The steps aren't wide enough, uh, hall steps, uh, and, and, and I'm bouncing everywhere, and I lose my balance. I'm overloaded. I wanted to be overloaded. I thought I could handle being overloaded, and yet I lost my balance. And that happens in life. The mind says, oh, I can do that. The body says, I can do that. The physics that we run, the logistics that we run, oh, I can, I can handle that. Well, you better balance it. Won't you bring that thought to Christ? Amen. I think of this. As I think of that, I, I, I've, I've said this before, but it's worthy of saying it again. Logan and I were discussing it this morning about plane crashes. Most plane crash uh, logistics happen because of cognitive overload. The pilot gets so many things on his mind. This fails, that fails, this needs to be done, that. And the pilot gets so many things on his mind. Cognitive overload happens and the plane crashes. Not because the plane should have crashed, because the pilot crashed. And life sometimes gets like that. Let's move on. I think of another, uh, real quickly, I think of another example, Eli in the Old Testament. I want you parents to listen to this one very carefully. Eli in the Old Testament got so focused on his sons that he honored his sons above God. I mean, Eli was the priest. His sons should have been in the priestly order. And the Bible says they got wicked and did all kinds of wicked things. And Eli overlooked it because he honored his sons above honoring God. And I'm seeing today in our church and in our churches all over that people are honoring their children above honoring God. And I'm going to hit you. In every, I'd like to preach right. I'd like to scream this actually, but I've got to maintain my equilibrium here. Travel ball. Number one thing that's causing a spiritual imbalance in children today is travel ball. I'm down hoeing close to the corn, ain't I? The devil has taken more kids out of the house of God and put them on the ball field and destroyed their life than you can count. You honor God. Eli honored his sons above God. You honor God above your children and God will raise your children. Let me say that again. If you honor God above your children, God will raise your children. 
Oh boy, it gets quiet when you preach like that. Well, I can't stick there. I will one of these days. Parents honor their children. They want to go to church because Junior wants to go to church down there where they have Mountain Dew <laughs> and theatrics and a great youth program and all stuff. Go to church where God wants you to go to church. Go to church where you can hear the word of God, where your children will be instructed, he will bless. Amen. We had better get in the place where God wants us and honor him. I think of David. I've got to hurry. I think of David. David, and I hate to bring out his sin, but the Bible brings out his sin. God loved David, and David loved God, and David was a man after God's own heart, but David had eight wives. That's enough for every, a wife for every day of the week and two on Sundays. <laughs> I think it's seven too many according to scriptures. And the Bible, the Bible bears out Somebody said that's the worst part. That's having eight mother-in-laws. <laughs> Mama, I'm not, I'm not shooting that at you. Uh, David got focused on one poor woman, Bathsheba, and she was beautiful, and she was naked, and he looks at her, and he forgets all that he already has. Do you know how many times that has been repeated and repeated and repeated in this country because of pornography and the nakedness that we see on the streets? One more, just one more experience, one more. You know what drugs is? One more experience. I want to quit. I'm so hooked. I'm so addicted. It's destroying my life. It's destroying my family. I heard that this very week, but I'm addicted. One more experience. That's what was wrong with David. One more experience. My goodness. The imagination of David's heart ran away with him. He began to, we're talking about vain imaginations to start with, and then wicked imaginations, that logismos, and he began to run away, and David began to plot and plan how he could have Uriah killed. David committed murder and homicide to have a man killed because he couldn't stop his focus. That's a warped mind. I don't care if it was King David and he was a man after God's own heart. And by the way, God forgave him and David one day will sit on the throne of, of Jesus Christ and God's a forgiving God. But look at the pain and suffering it caused. David, wicked imaginations, vain imaginations. I've got 10 minutes to give you four good examples. I think of Abraham who kept his focus. Every time you open the pages with Abraham, the father of the faithful, he's walking with God. He's building altars. Abraham is, 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 is so, he's so focused on the things of God, this world can't warp him. I mean, yes, he made a few mistakes. He forgot a time or two to bring all his, captivate all his thoughts and bring them to God. He didn't do that a couple of times. But my goodness, mostly he was focused on God. 
His, and I think about him as he and Lot came to look over the well-watered plain of, of Jordan and Abraham made the right choice and Lot made the wrong choice and Lot went down into Sodom and guess what happened in Sodom? Lot got his mind warped. And when we compare the two, here's Abraham walking with God. It's balancing him out. It's bringing moderation to him. It's bringing the blessings of God. And then we all look at Lot over here and all that stuff that's going on in Sodom has warped his mind so bad that he tried to offer his daughters to that crowd to let them have his daughters to keep them from raping men. You get warped in a situation like that, dear friend. David and, and, and or Abraham and Lot, may I say that to you that I'd rather be living, when we look at the two, let's look at the two real quickly. Abraham is living in a tent on the plains of Mamre while Lot is living in a house in Sodom. The choice I make this morning, I'd rather be living like the Bible says Abraham was in his tent in the heat of the day. I'd rather be in a tent in the will of God than in a mansion in Sodom. The Sodomites don't have any real estate that I want. Praise God. Then we find Daniel. Daniel kept his mind filled with the things of God. He's, we see him every time we open the Bible. He's reading, he's studying scriptures. He becomes the epitome, the epitome of wisdom and spiritual balance. That, but Daniel was in a very unbalanced situation. He lost his home. He got carried away to Babylon. He was having to serve in a strange language, a strange culture. Can you imagine if you were uprooted and taken to a strange culture, a strange people, a strange language? Can you imagine how you would have to just just sort of revamp your whole life from language to logistics, yet Daniel always appears to show balance. You know why? He set his affection on things above. When you find Daniel, he's in the window praying. I mean, three times a day, Daniel, Daniel's not letting the king, he's not letting anybody, he's not letting peer, peer pressure, he's not letting social pressure, he's not letting sin pressure, he's in his window three times a day, and he's discussing all these things with God. <laughs> and he stays balanced. In a foreign land, under the worst circumstances, the Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. The Bible says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. My focus has to stay where my focus needs to be. And that's on God. My priorities. Then I think of two more, and I've got to close. Then there's John. I think of John, the beloved apostle, always leaning on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ, always near to the Savior, always keeping his focus. John appears to me to be the apostle who made the least mistakes. You know why? He was walking close to Jesus. The people in this congregation, I promise you on the authority of the word of God, the people in this congregation who will make the least mistakes in life are the people who are walking with Jesus Christ. Amen. The closest ones walking with Christ. And that's who John was, always near, keeping his focus. 
I think of Peter. Peter, the big fleshly guy. He's made a mess out of everything. Amen. Peter was an apostle. And then I think of James. He swung to the legalistic side. And I think of Thomas. He was always filled with doubt. <laughs> but John, that closeness to the Savior mitigated the mistakes that he made in life. Amen. Last example of perfect balance is Jesus Christ. Wow. I marvel at how he could react so appropriately to every situation. He could be put and placed in an extreme situation and the next thing you know, he brought peace to it. He could be put in another extreme or an excessive situation and he solved the problem. Wow. I think of how Christ... His actions were always fitting. His reactions were always suitable. The, the situations he got in were variable, testing, trying. He was always in perfect management of his emotions. He was always in perfect management of his mind. He was always in perfect management of his body. Jesus Christ is our example of a perfectly balanced human being. Amen. Wow. We watch him in scripture as I close. We watch him in scripture as he's mistreated, yet he's always kind. His family rebuked him. That's family pressure. His friends treated him horribly. That's peer pressure. The situation was often against him, but he reacted so appropriately. His I think of Mary and Martha, how they even rebuked him. But we watch him in Scripture as he never overreacts. And the last thing I want to give you is as we look at him, if there was ever a time that he should have overreacted, it was when he was on the cross. They beat him. They scoffed him. They mocked him. They spit upon him. They took his bleeding body that the bones, the Bible says the bones, stared up out. They had whipped him so bad they beat the meat off of his bones. And his bones stared up at him. And they nailed him to a cross. And the Bible says that he could have called at that instance, he could have called 12 legions of angels. Twelve legions, 172,000 angels at his disposal. And all he's got to do is say the word. And that you know he's the right, the right, really the right reaction would be pop your hands off him nails and say this is done. And that's how most of us would have reacted. But he didn't. Because he had to die for me you. He had to die for sin. So his overreaction had to be, his, even his reaction, not his overreaction, his action had to be in humility and moderation or you and I wouldn't even be here. You and I ought to be like our, our Savior. 
And this week, as I'll remind you during Bible school, <laughs> you might be tempted to overreact to a situation. There's going to be hundreds, literally hundreds of kids here. And by the end of the week, you're going to be tired and emotional and going to be so easy to overreact. But let's remember our Savior. He's our example. He's our guide. Now let me do this as we close. If there would be one here that's lost, you don't know Christ. I realize I've preached to Christians this morning. But I want to ask you, do you know Christ? Has the devil warped your mind and warped your life? There's only one way out of that. You say, oh, I can reform. Well, that'll just warp you the other way. You need Jesus. And I want to invite you this morning, if you're lost, to come to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to hold the invitation. I'm not going to come back and pull you out of your seat. But I want you to give your life to Christ this morning. You realize that he was the only perfect individual, that he died for your sin. I'm going to give you that opportunity. Then Christian, while we wait just a minute, where are you at in your life? What's got a hold of you? What's got you focused? What's warping your mind or warping your personality or warping your thoughts? Why don't you bring that into captivity and present that right now? God's revealed it. You know it. Just be honest. That's exactly what happened to David. When David sinned, when David got overbalanced, when David got so focused, when David lost... His moderation he was just simply honest with God and God honored his honesty that's all I'm asking of you this morning just be honest with God brother Brian's going to come and dismiss us in a word of prayer Heavenly Father Lord as we just close the service this morning Lord my first prayer is this if there be one here this morning that doesn't know he's their personal Lord and Savior, they have a hope so, think so, maybe so salvation, Lord, that today would be the day that they would get that nailed down and settled in their heart and life, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray that if there be one here this morning that's not saved, you wouldn't let them leave this place until they get that settled this morning, Lord. And for us as Christians, Lord, as we walk out of these doors this morning, Lord, may we just simply put a smile on our face Say, it's been good to be in your house today, Lord. I thank you for this series of messages we've heard on balance, Lord, and I pray that we would be more than hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word, Lord. Let our life be an example to others, Lord, of what Christian balance looks like, Lord. Lord, I just pray for our week ahead for Bible school, Lord. I just pray that you'd just be with each of us, Lord. Just allow us to make it a commitment and a priority to either be here or be in prayer for what you desire to do in this week ahead, Lord. Lord, I pray for that one that'll be here this next week, Lord, that doesn't know you, that's not saved, Lord, that even right now you begin to draw that person to yourself, Lord. And Lord, at the end of the week, may we just, just glory in what you've done through this week of Bible school, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for all you do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.